Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops. I'm your host, Paul Oren, and you're listening to a wonderful podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. You can catch me on Twitter at NWI Oren, and you can catch Union Street Hoops on iTunes and on NWI.com. Be sure to go there, listen, retweet, favorite, click, subscribe, all the different things that you can do. Thank you for listening. We enter year number three of Union Street Hoops, and we enter mid-October. Basketball is in the air right now. It's a little bit of a cold bite outside in the weather, and that always leads me to want to go inside of the gym where the intensity is ratcheting up. So we're getting ready for the 2018-19 basketball season. Unreal. I, it's right It's right here. It's right around the corner. The NBA tipped off earlier this week. Uh, all the games are really kind of getting going. Um, I'm recording this here on a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks and Ryan Brokoff are going to be playing. The Chicago Bulls will be playing later on today. Uh, later in the podcast, we're actually going to have um, Valparaiso University alum and ESPN play-by-play announcer Adam Amin is going to join the podcast briefly just to talk a little bit about he just signed on to work with the Chicago Bulls. And matter of fact, the first game that he's going to be doing will be next week in Dallas against Ryan Brokoff and the Dallas Mavericks. I think it may be against Dirk Nowitzki and the Dallas Mavericks or Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks, but we'll put Brokoff's name in there. So he'll be doing some stuff with the Chicago Bulls. He called the preseason games with the Bears, and he'll have all of that stuff to talk about. A little bit later on in the podcast, I'm going to go through my predictions for the finish in the Missouri Valley Conference because this week the Valley will release their preseason predictions and first team, second team, all of that stuff. So I'm going to get to that. But first, and I feel like I want to put a bow on this. We talked, I've talked about this in previous podcasts, and I feel like it's, it's time to just wrap this up because there's nothing you can do about the schedule anymore. But I want to talk about scheduling one more time. Uh, I had the opportunity last week to go to Big Ten Media Day. And I was kind of like a fish out of water, right? Because I I don't really cover the Big Ten all that much. I wanted to go there to talk about uh, Sasha at uh, Purdue and Trace Ramsey at Maryland. There's a couple region players that have got Big uh, Big Ten roster spots this year. But I was also struck by this idea of the Big Ten is moving to 20 games. And I wanted to talk to coaches, notably coaches that had mid-major backgrounds, Matt Painter, Richard Patino, and and talk to them about what this was like. And it was was really kind of eye-opening to talk about. Um, The Big Ten only got four teams in the NCAA tournament last year. Now, I know that like the Valley points to the one year that they got four teams in as like this great year. Well, it's different, right? Um, the Valley doesn't expect to get four teams in. The Big Ten doesn't expect to get just four teams in. They expect to get seven, eight, or nine teams in, right? Maybe seven is probably the number that they'd be that they'd be comfortable at. That's getting 50% of the league in the tournament. The Valley's never going to get 50% in the tournament. The Horizon League's never going to get 50%. Those leagues are going to get 10%, and in a good year, you know, 20% of the of the, the field is going to get in there. So the Big Ten has moved to 20 games because, according to John Beeline at Michigan, scheduling is hard. 
I about fell off my chair in the middle of the Hyatt Regency Hotel when John Beeline said scheduling is hard. I don't follow Michigan, so I don't know all the details of this, but I think he had a signed home-and-home with Cincinnati that Michigan backed out of, and he's talking about how difficult it is to schedule games. And it's funny because a lot of these high-major reporters, they only ever cover these high-major teams, and so I don't think they ever really look or pay attention to what's going on in mid-major basketball. And these guys are are scooping up this this drivel that John Beeline's throwing at them. Oh, it's hard to get games. It's really difficult. Hard to get teams to come into our gym. Yeah, it might be hard to get Texas to come into your gym, and it might be hard to get, you know, big, you know, North Carolina to come into your gym. But it's not hard to get games. Don't talk about like it's hard to get games. It's hard for Illinois State and for Valpo to get games. They would love to go to Michigan. You got I mean, what? What? What is gonna? What's gonna happen on the back end? And Michigan's like, well, we got to play road games. This was Matt Painter said this. He'll be on in a little bit. Um, you know, I, I had a roundtable interview discussion with with Matt Painter. I asked him a couple questions. I recorded it. And I'm going to throw it on here. So I'm not necessarily going to call him a guest on Union Street Hoops. I'm just going to play part of the interview. Uh, I talked to Richard Patino. The audio didn't really work. Um, but all these guys talked about, you know, it's it's hard for us to get games. What do you mean it's hard for you to get games? You guys have money. You can buy teams all the time. You can go on the road. But but. You know what? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop kind of talking right now. I wanna I wanna bring in my my question to Matt Painter, and I think I was struck by a couple things that he said. And uh, and his, so here's Matt Painter. This is me kind of leading up talking about how they've expanded to 20 games, and then talking about what the impact this is gonna be. And I think it's interesting when he talks about the Big Ten. 20 conference games. You have less flexibility in November and December with mm-hmm. the non-conference. Does that put more pressure to get those games right or do you have less pressure because you already know you're getting two pretty yeah. good rpi games right not i don't think uh it's pressure one way or the other okay i just think you have the same amount of games you have two more conference games um the push to go two more conference games is to get more quality games and so our league plays more quality games and so last year we had the fewest amount of tier one wins in, in the, in the top six conferences we had the most tier three wins we had the most scheduled tier three wins we, you know this helps us adjust this helps us and that helps us it forces us to, to play more people because ultimately getting four teams in the NCAA tournament is not good enough you know we want to have six seven eight teams in the NCAA tournament it's not your dad's big ten it's not ten teams so if you got 40 percent of your teams going in you know and then so now you know if you get 50 percent of your teams going in you got seven teams in there it's pretty good. But if you had four out of ten, you'd look at it like, oh, that's all right, we're okay. When in reality, it's not. Like, we have to get more teams in there. Well, how do we do it? we got to schedule better. So if you can harken back to your mid-major days for a second, what challenges, I guess, are those guys going to face now, knowing that there's less and less games against Purdue's out there's there? There's less opportunities for them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're not in the business of, of worrying about them. Yeah. But if I was in that position, which I've been, I'd be worried about it. Yeah. So you've got to get out in front of it. You've got to schedule at that level. You've got to try to getting some neutral side games you got to try to you know get yourself and schedule and it's harder we, we made we've made it harder on them but the metric change for what what goes on to get in the NCAA tournament like we don't set the like you know it's like setting the market like you know we don't set the market the market sets itself so when it sets itself adapt to it we've adapted to it 
it's a smart, but you got to get out in front of it. And now people say, oh, I mean, you're playing too many conference games. No, we're trying to get the NCAA tournament. Don't get away from the goal. You know, now for us getting four teams in the NCAA tournament last year, that's, a, that's on us. That's on us as a league. You know, now we've, we've got out in front of it, and now we're going to do those things, and we got to keep scheduling. We got to keep, you know, having a road, you know, a couple road games, having a couple neutral games, you know, then having those conference games. If we all can kind of keep and do our job, it's so hard because no matter what, people are going to lose their jobs, no matter what we do. And so, but it's hard because when you get some guys that just get a job and are trying to get started, you know, like, hey, I don't have an NCAA tournament team. I understand that. I understand that. Now they're trying to build, they're trying to build confidence. But the people that have been places for a while, they've been established for a while, or they're at big time places, you got to schedule them. You just do. You just do. So there it is from Purdue coach Matt Painter. I loved his, we're not in the business of worrying about mid-majors. And then he said, you know, if he was still at a mid-major, he'd be he'd be worried and he'd have to get out in front of it. And he said, you have to get neutral site games. But he doesn't hide from the fact that high major teams are making it harder on the mid-major teams. And why are they doing that? Well, much like, you know, when, when Valpo was in the Horizon League and Butler made that deep run, Butler made a bunch of money for the Horizon League, so it gets split around all these other teams. Same thing happens when Loyola makes it to the Final Four. They're going to bring in a bunch of money for the rest of the Missouri Valley Conference. Every game you get in the tournament is another unit, and those units translate to money, and those money that money goes back to the schools. So it behooves, like, like Purdue. Purdue's going to make the NCAA tournament, right? Like they're a pretty good team this year. But it behooves Purdue for... Maryland to make the NCAA tournament and for Wisconsin to make the NCAA tournament as opposed to Illinois State or Middle Tennessee State or really anybody else. They want as many teams from the Big Ten to make it because that means more money for the Big Ten, which means they get everything back to them. I mean, we can't ever forget the fact that this is all about money. Look at what's going on in, in, in the court system right now. With all, I mean, college basketball is a big money game for just about everybody but the players. The players are trying to figure out how to make some of that money. Maybe the shoe companies are helping out with that. And that, that was another topic of conversation at Big Ten Media Day. And, you know, John Beeline, as forceful as he was about scheduling, he was also very forceful about this and said, look, if you cheat, get out of our game. We don't want you here. And uh, and many of the schools kind of kind of were saying things such as that, and and uh, it was it was interesting to kind of see that because because when you're at when you cover the Valley Media Day, I mean you can ask those coaches about about the FBI scandal, whatever's going on, and most of those guys are like, yeah, you know, we're happy that Nike even returns our phone calls, and it's just a little bit different at this higher level. So uh, really interesting stuff from the scheduling perspective. And what I thought was interesting is that Painter is going on about how you got to go on the road, you got to play this, you got to do that. And I looked at Purdue's schedule, and he actually he put his money where his mouth is here. Uh, they're you know they start at home against Fairfield and they play Ball State. I don't know what Fairfield's doing on the schedule. It's a winnable game early on. I don't think the Purdue fans are going to get very excited about Fairfield, just like the Valpo fans don't get very excited about UC Riverside. Um, 
And then they get Ball State. Good. In-state game. Don't have any problem with them playing that game. That's a good one. Get them at home. Fine. They go to the Charleston Classic, a tournament that Valpo's, I think, was in. Um, or, or, you know, at, at one point, um, they uh, they got uh, Appalachian State and then uh, winner of Wichita State, Davidson, and then somebody else. So they'll get a good game out of that. And then uh, Robert Morris. Maybe I'm wrong in that Charleston Classic. I don't remember where Valpo's played all their tournaments. Savannah, they played one in. They got Robert Morris at home. Okay, not really sure. That's just another Fairfield throwaway game there. Uh, you got at Florida State in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Now, that's a game that they're contractually obligated to play, but they do get a road game there. Then they've got Michigan and Maryland in two Big Ten games early in December. And Delaney, the Big Ten commissioner, talked at length about how we've got to produce games in November and December that get people excited about our product. It's interesting. And then they play at Texas. Big game. Really nice game for Purdue. Purdue and Texas, big game. Can't knock the teams for playing that. But when those teams play those kind of games, that takes away from playing a mid-major game. And that's fine. Then then Purdue plays Notre Dame in the Crossroads Classic, something that they're kind of locked into. And then they round out their non-conference with home games against Ohio and Belmont on either side of Christmas break there. So they've got, by my count, Belmont, Ohio, Robert Morris, Ball State, and Fairfield are five games against mid-major or low-major teams. So if we look at, like, how come Valpo can't get Purdue? They've got five opportunities there. And so that's and, – and is where does Valpo rank against all of those teams? Well, pretty competitive with Ball State. I don't know much about Fairfield or Robert Morris. And uh, Belmont, obviously, is a perennial, one of the top mid-major programs in the country. They're always a good program. And then Ohio, decent max school, makes sense. Not going to hurt the RPI too much for for Purdue. So those are the five games that that Purdue has. And they are they go on the road for two of them in the non-conference, which is more than I can say about a lot of other high major teams. Like I think Michigan is playing one game on the road. Uh, they're playing at Villanova, I believe, but but they're not playing a they're not voluntarily going on the road at all. And it's, you know, I've talked a lot about Big Ten here, and this is a podcast about Valpo basketball and a podcast about the Missouri Valley Conference. But, again, that's kind of what I saw with the scheduling. So I I liked Matt Painter basically coming out and saying, look, we're making it hard on them. It's not our job. We're not in the business of worrying about them. Matter of fact, they are in the business of trying to get their teams to the NCAA tournament as many as they can because that generates revenue for the league. He didn't come out and talk about the revenue per se, but that's really what it's all about. So I think I'm done talking about scheduling. There's nothing that Valpo can do about their schedule now. It's locked in. It's set to go. It is what it is. You know, they, they've got Concordia, Chicago starting off, Western Kentucky, West Virginia, Monmouth. Uh, you know, they'll get the winner of that, winner or loser of that game, depending on Western Kentucky. SIU Edwardsville at West Virginia, at UNLV, UC Riverside, and High Point at home at George Washington, start of a good series there, then Ball State at home at Texas A&M, and then rounding out against Purdue Northwest in a glorified exhibition game on December 29th. And then they get into Missouri Valley Conference play, opening on January 2nd, Wednesday, at the Arc, 7 o'clock, against Illinois State. And as I sit here today, I look at my projected standings for the Valley and the preseason player of the year and first and second team and all of that. 
And Illinois State, the team that Valpo opens with, I've got them right at the top. I think Illinois State wins the league this year. I think they've just got too much talent. I think they're they're going to be by far the best team. Two years ago, they won 28 games, and they were really, really good. And I think they've got all the pieces this year. It starts, though, with Malik Yarborough. If this guy, he's got some some off-the-court issues. If he's not suspended, if he's good to go, he's going to be the player of the year in the conference. And I really think that he'll be he'll be the, the glue or the engine, I guess. Maybe not the glue. He's not the glue guy on the team. He's the engine on the team. And, uh, and they've got Phil Fain, who I really think a lot of, and, uh, and Keyshawn Evans is kind of the big three. And then they've got a, a, a transfer, Copeland, who I think should be really, really good. Illinois State is loaded this year. They're my pick for number one. So then the question is, well, what do you do with Loyola? Well, I think Loyola's number two, and, and I think Loyola is also pretty loaded. Clayton Custer is uh, is going to be fantastic again this year. He's you know, was the Valley Player of the Year last year. Marcus Towns was just a breakout in the NCAA tournament. Fantastic player, and I really think he is, is going to be good. Cameron Crutwig kind of didn't do a ton in some of the tournament games just because of the way the games were played. They went a little smaller, but Crutwig, I think, is coming back for a sophomore year, has a, a possibility of really jumping forward and taking a big leap this year for Loyola. And then Williamson, the kid, uh, he was also, I think, a freshman last year, uh, should step up and, and get some minutes as well and, and really play a key role for Loyola. Those two teams are at the top, and then Southern Illinois is right there as well. I think they've they've got Sean Lloyd, Armand Fletcher, uh, Theke Bowl is able to play this year. Uh, yeah, I think he's supposed to be coming back. And then Kavion Pippen, those four. I mean, they're really deep as well, right? Or they they their top end talent is fantastic. So Southern Illinois, I think, is is going to be an excellent excellent team. Coming in fourth and rounding out the top tier of the league for me is Bradley. Bradley also returns a bunch of starters, headlined by Daryl Brown, uh, the point guard who's now a junior, I believe. And, uh, you know, they've got so much talent on that team. I really do think that um, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. They just lost to their freshman uh, for the non-conferences, big, tall freshman they've got. I don't remember his name off the top. I can't pronounce his name is what I'm saying. Uh, he, he could be back by conference season, but again, slow moving. And and, you know, really last year there were some injuries. Theke Bowl at Southern Illinois where we heard, okay, he's going to be out for the non-conference, but he should be back. And then ultimately he never came back. And so uh, what Bradley does injury-wise there with their big man, I, I you know, I don't know. So those top four teams, I think, are the top tier of the Valley. I think it goes 4-3-3 in terms of tiers that we have. The Illinois teams are just so good. They're experienced. And they've got some some new guys coming in that are going to help. The second tier of teams, and they could, you could really put them in any order, I think. Um, Northern Iowa, Valpo, and Indiana State. These are teams that have got some experience, maybe didn't have the kind of year they wanted last year. Indiana State did well, but they lose uh, Brenton Scott. But Indiana State, I actually have coming in at seventh. So we'll go reverse order here. 
Um, Indiana State coming in at seventh. Jordan Barnes and Tyreek Key, I believe, are the two guys that really should uh, should step up for Indiana State. They're a solid, solid team, um, and they could they could finish fifth. They could finish sixth. They could finish seventh. Sixth, I've got Valpo. And fifth, I've got Northern Iowa. But I'm not going to die on this hill. I think these three teams could go in any order, and I'll repeat that a couple times, I guess. Uh, Valpo, to me, there's just there's question marks. How does Dion Lavender fit in? What role does he have? How much is he going to allow Bakari to play off the ball? And if that happens, how much does Bakari embrace that role? How good is Ryan Fazekas going to be? How good is Malik McMillan taking his next step? Jay Soroya, Derek Smits, which one of these guys, if either of them, step up and seize that role? And then how good is Marcus Golder? I mean, how good of a, of a next step can Marcus Golder take? And that's not to say anything about the freshman. Now, because, I, because we're around Valpo a bit more, you know, fans that listen to this podcast, myself as a reporter, um, I have a sense of what all these new guys are bringing to the table, Lavender, Saki, Freeman Liberty, and Fizikas, I don't have that sense of all the other newcomers to the league. So where I think it's easy to point to Valpo and say they're going to be far better than they were last year because of all these newcomers, I just don't know the talent level of all these other newcomers. And that's partially why I've got Northern Iowa slotted just above Valpo because they've got Trey Croft, the top-scoring Juco player in the country, average like 27.5 points a game on their roster, as well as A.J. Green, who by every by all accounts is like the latest star to go through Northern Iowa, will be a guy that I'm sure midway through his sophomore year will be like, this guy's still here? Like, guy feels like he's been in the league forever. Um, he feels like a big-time scorer, a big-time player that that really, from all everyone talking to me about him and, and what I heard at Valley Media Day, has the ability to be the like the most highly touted freshman to come into the league in a long, long time. So, having never seen them play before, um, I'm, what we're hearing is that these guys from Northern Iowa are going to be really, really good. So, I think Northern Iowa, Valpo, Indiana State, in some order, are going to fit into that middle group. Now, there's a huge difference between fifth and sixth and seventh because seventh means you've got to play in the play-in game, the seven-ten game, and then you're going to play the number two seed. In, in Arch Madness, if you're in 5-6, you're obviously you're playing either the 3 or the 4 seed. And, again, I think that top tier of teams is going to be really impressive. Um, but, I you know, 5 through 7, they're going to be pretty well grouped together there. That's my thoughts. 8, 9, and 10, three teams, three new coaches, three new directions of a program. Uh, I've got Drake at number eight, Missouri State at number nine, and Evansville at number 10. And really, this is the equivalent of me throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing who stuck where. Uh, I don't have a sense of all the newcomers they have. Drake has got Nick McGlynn, really nice player. And, you know, he's, they've got a couple of uh, guys with region connections on their team. I know who those players are a little bit more, the Murphy Twins. And, and they're just – they're good players. And, and Drake, I think, is uh, – you know, they, they, they were – motivated a bit last year. I know they lost a bunch of players, Reed Timmer, but they, they had just a really good, talented group last year, and I think Drake is going to probably make the quickest move of these new teams. you got Missouri State, which has got Obadiah Church and Jared Dixon, and uh, was a Kreklow, I think, are back, but they've got a new coach. You know, They've got questions there. They've got a bunch of new players as well. I think Missouri State 
you lose Alizé Johnson and, and you had Alizé and you still finished in the bottom four of the league, losing him, I, I just I think it's going to be tough. And then you got Evansville at 10th. Walter McCarty should be an excellent coach there eventually and, and, and may win some games this year that they don't have any business winning, but you rehaul the entire roster. Felt like every single player on the team almost uh, ended up transferring away from there. And, you know, Ryan Taylor's at Northwestern. J- Drew Smith, I think, is at, uh, is at Missouri. And, uh, you know, these this guys that just kind of went all over the place. They've gutted the roster. So Drake, Missouri State, Evansville, I think those three finish at the bottom. And much like that group with Northern Iowa, Valpo, and Indiana State, I think they can kind of finish in whatever order. But I'd be surprised if any one of those three broke out of that group and got to the next three. And I think I'd be surprised if any one of the Northern Iowa, Valpo, and Indiana State group broke out. Bradley is the one maybe floater that maybe a Northern Iowa or a Valpo could could catch them. But I think Illinois State, Loyola, and Southern Illinois are the cream of the crop, and I'd put Bradley's experience right there with them. And, and that's kind of how I slot the league. I don't have a vote. In, this year I do the postseason. So last year I did the preseason, and, and uh, my counterpart at the uh, the other place here uh, got to do the other vote. Um, you know, he got to do the, uh, the postseason last year. So this year he gets the preseason, I get the postseason. So this is just my ballot. I don't actually officially count for anything. And the way the Valley works, uh, because I cover Valpo, um, you know, anyone who covers the teams like the Northern Iowa reporter can't vote Northern Iowa anywhere, and the Loyola reporter can't do the same. And, and it's it's good because, again, it takes away some of that, that uh, proximity bias that we may have. I know full well that Ryan Fizikas is going to be an excellent player for Valpo, and maybe I'd be tempted to put him second-team all-conference preseason not knowing how good A.J. Green is. So that's I think it's good how they do that. I've got uh, I've got my five team all first team, my five team second team, and then five players to watch out for that uh, that aren't on the list. Uh, first team player of the year for me, Malik Yarborough, Illinois State. If he misses any time, is suspended at any point, I would drop him down. Maybe not off the team altogether, but drop him down, and then Clayton Custer would be the preseason player of the year. I I think it's always hard not to vote the guy preseason player of the year when he was the player of the year the previous year, but. You know, we lived through Ray McCallum and Ryan Brokoff in the Horizon League, too. So, um, yeah, I think uh, Yarbrough and, uh, and and Custer are going to be right at the top. I really like Armand Fletcher at Southern Illinois. I think he's an experienced player. I think that he's, uh, he's really, really good. He's got a lot of talent around him, so I think Armand Fletcher makes first team. Jordan Barnes is going to score a bunch of points at Indiana State. I don't know that he's one of the five best all-around players in the league. Maybe, you know, maybe he is, uh, but he's certainly one of the best scorers in the league. He's a high-volume shooter, and he's he's fast. I, I like watching Jordan Barnes play, and, and he should be right up there. And then if there's a guy that I have a big crush on in the league, it's Phil Fain at Illinois State. I love his game. I love I love talking to him. The interviews are great. His quotes are funny. He and Keyshawn Evans are they ought to have a, a radio show together. Um, I really like Phil Fain. Excellent guy, and uh, I think that uh, that he'll be a really good kind of breakout. I think he averaged 15 points a game last year, and uh, he he could do very well for Illinois State. He may lose minutes though, and may not minutes. He may lose production because of Copeland at Illinois State, who is one of my players to watch out for. I don't know how good this guy's supposed to be, but uh, he may take some of that away. 
My second team, um, Keyshawn Evans from Illinois State. Again, my third Illinois State player up there, which shows you a little bit why I think they're going to be as good as they are. Um, Daryl Brown from Bradley. I think you know you you played as many minutes in the Valley as he has. Uh, you know he's going to be a good good player this year. He's got a lot of talent around him. I think that Brown should be very very good. Kavion Pippen at Southern Illinois. Again, if Theek Bowl is back, I don't know how much that changes his production and his impact, but he was really good last year, and he could take a big step up. And another big man to watch out for, I mentioned him earlier in the pod, uh, Cameron Crutwig from Loyola. And then rounding out my uh, second team from Valpo, Bakari Evelyn. I think he is uh, He's going to be – I think he's going to have a breakout season this year. Um, whether he has the ball in his hand or not, I think he's going to be – you know, a guy that is anxious and willing to get out there and fill up the stat sheet, and I really do think that he will have a breakout performance this year. And I think the presence of Fizikas on the floor will allow Bakari, um, you know, a little bit more freedom to, to drive, and because they're going to have to, they're going to have to follow Fizikas on the floor because he can shoot. And I think that that Bakari is his game will open up because of that couple players to watch out for. Again, I mentioned Copeland at Illinois State, Theek Bull at Southern Illinois, Marcus Towns at Loyola. Uh, such a breakout tournament run that he had there, and really with them losing three key players in their starting lineup or, or their, their rotation, Towns is going to be asked to do a lot. And then A.J. Green, I mentioned, from Northern Iowa, um, could be a phenomenal player this year. And then I would end with Nick McGlynn from Drake, I think, is a guy that – I think averaged double figures last year and really could, uh, you know, be their leading score and probably their top production guy, which is going to fill up the stat sheet. And in doing that, we'll turn some eyes. And you know, ultimately, when we look at these awards and everything, that's kind of where where we look at that stuff. I think it's going to be an excellent season. It's, you know, we're I know we're a couple weeks away from the season starting, but we're several months away from the non-conference starting, or excuse me, from the conference play starting. And so I think everyone in the Valley cheers for everybody else during the non-conference. You want big wins, like when, when Loyola beat Florida last year, that was great. When Indiana State beat Indiana, that was great. And, uh, and then in January, it all comes together as Valpa opens against Illinois State. And then they go on the road at Missouri State. When they wrap it up right before the uh, the conference tournament, they're at Northern Iowa, at Bradley, and then home against Evansville. So it should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to the Valley this year. The NBA has started, and the Chicago Bulls, you know, Markinen is out for seven weeks or whatever it is. It's going to be tough sledding for the Bulls, but maybe they've got uh, they got some good pieces in place. I'd be interested to see how Wendell Carter does. And uh, it'd be exciting to, to, to watch what the Eastern Conference does. And I wanted to take this time now to bring in former, uh, well, he's a Valparaiso alum and former member of the Valparaiso basketball radio crew with Todd Eichau, Adam Amin, ESPN play-by-play announcer. Always great to have Adam on here. Adam recently was announced that he's going to be doing some Chicago Bulls games. And I thought, you know, he did the Bears preseason. How does that happen? How do you, How do you get to be a national sportscaster and do this. And then, uh, you know, what's it like to uh, to be calling a game that Ryan Brokoff is going to be in here in a couple days. So here is Adam Amin. Thank you, Adam, for joining. Uh, it's such a busy time of the year with football, and now basketball is getting started. Baseball just ended. Um, how do you keep it all straight? Uh, I don't know if I do, honestly. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure at some point I've 
probably mistaken one guy for another, uh, and and somebody was has probably blamed it on the fact that uh, I was covering one sport one night and a different one the uh, the next day. But uh, it's part of all the fun of it, right? This is what you kind of sign up for uh, when you're when you want to be a broadcaster and you want to cover a lot of different stuff and be lucky enough to, to do all these things. And you know, it's all part of managing the time and budgeting it and try to prioritize as much as humanly possible. You know, I was reading this article that, that was about you today, about the Chicago Bulls news, which is so great. Congratulations on that. And it just, you know, it listed off everything that you've called. And, you know, just on your Twitter bio, too, you've got just your bio is simple. It just says at ESPN play by play. Then it lists all these sports. And and it takes me back to the time when you were in college at Valpo and you were the you know play by play announcer at the campus radio station WVUR. And I'm sure one day was volleyball, the next day was football, the next day was soccer. Did that? How much did that help you? I guess get ready for where you're at today. I, I think it's essential. I think it was essential just to figure out that you do have to budget time for this and learn the nuances of that and be ready for X while also being able to talk intelligently about Y. And uh, I, I think when you first get into it without any real knowledge of it, I think your assumption just becomes whatever your first experience is like your baseline for how to do the job is oftentimes what your first experience with it is and for me it was hey we're a small group at wvr who's going to cover a lot of stuff so be ready to produce and to update and to host and to call play-by-play and to be an analyst and oh by the way we're going to do that for six or seven or eight or nine different sports over the course of an entire academic calendar year so uh, that was my first foray into it so my assumption was just kind of all right this is what you're supposed to do right you're supposed to cover everything and then you find examples of that uh with people above you and who are doing it at a professional and very high level and they're doing a bunch of different sports and the people i've looked up to the most are the ones that do a bunch of different sports and do it well and do do them all at a high level of quality so if that's the uh the model you're supposed to follow that's the one i was exposed to early and i think uh, that I hope that prepared me. You know, I don't know what the results are. It's up to the listener or viewer to decide, but I hope that that's prepared me well to do all the things that I'm lucky enough to do now. You've worked for ESPN for a bunch of years now, and they're based in Connecticut or Charlotte or wherever, out, out east. Um, you travel all over the place, but you're a Chicago guy uh, because that's where Big Star Taco is, I think, But and your family. But... but Staying in Chicago, was it ever? Was it? A, was it a? Uh, did you have to make a conscious choice to say I'm going to stay rooted in Chicago while your career was taking off? It was a choice, but it wasn't a crucial choice, and it certainly was a conscious choice. But I don't know how consequential it was. Because you know, for the most part, ESPN has said, "Hey, you know, you live where you want to live, and you." as long as you can't really care. Uh, and that's always been the attitude. But I do have, I've had thoughts in my, in, in my head at times, various points. But what if I did live in Connecticut? Would that mean I would get to do a little bit more in the studio and maybe travel a little less or whatever it may be? But at the end of the day, that's, that's, that's not really appealing to me. What's appealing to me is being there at the game. You know, the, the studio sessions and the prognostications and analysis in the pre- and post-game are great. And the people who do those shows are way better at it than I ever could be because, to me, the appeal is being there uh, in the moment and at the game and 
you know, right in the heat of it. And that's where you get the adrenaline boost. And that's where you get the rush. And that's what you hope for every time you go out and do a broadcast. So that, that part, because it appeals to me more, it's never really been like a overly consequential decision for me to stay in Chicago, but it absolutely felt like the right one. Well, and I, and I ask that question because staying in Chicago has seemingly led you to two really awesome opportunities. You've got a chance to be the preseason play-by-play voice of the Chicago Bears, and now you've got this opportunity to work with the Chicago Bulls, which I'm, I'm sure those opportunities are still there if you live somewhere else, but it's got to be easier to be on the radar. Can you walk me through a little bit uh, how did the Bears and how did the Bulls opportunities kind of come to fruition for you? It's so kind of kind of fun and ironic and, and coincidental or whatever that the first game you're going to do with the Bulls will be in Dallas where Ryan Brokoff, former Valpo player, will be playing his third or fourth NBA game, presumably. And you started your career, and before really you were at ESPN, you circled back and you did some stuff with the Horizon League Network when Ryan Brokoff was a player at Valpo. And I'm sure he was one of many players that you, you called during that time, but but how, how often do you come across guys that that are in the pros now that maybe you touched on when they were in high school or college? And, and is that kind of a fun, unique thing to see? Absolutely. And to, anytime I see anybody connected in any way with Valpo to an NBA roster, that excites me, whether it is seeing Alec Peters on an NBA roster, now seeing Ryan who signed a two-year deal. Uh, seeing his name on an NBA roster. Those are things that, that excite me because it connects my past to what I'm doing now in a very small way, but it's, it's to me, a big deal. I think it's fun. I think it's cool. So I was thrilled to see that Ryan had signed uh, a couple of months back, about a month back now at this point. And, who, I mean, yeah, I mean, what, what a great, fun coincidence that this is how it gets to work out. 
Great to have Adam Amin on the podcast. As always, always a thrill to, to, to see where his career is going. It's been great. And always a thrill to have you guys all listening to the podcast. Thank you very much. And uh, continue to uh, to tweet. And, uh, you know, I, I love it when people come up to me and, and introduce me. I was covering a cross-country meet last Saturday, and, and, uh, and a guy came up to me and, and said, hey, I just want to introduce myself, say thank you for everything you do. And, and I got to tell you, that, that stuff means the world to us. Thank you so much for that. And uh, excited for another season of Apple basketball right around the corner. Looking forward to being out at the Ark and seeing you all at games and, and, and B-dubs and all the other places that go along with that. And it should be an excellent season. Next week... We'll have another podcast, and we're going to do some Valpo over-unders. And uh, I know that we uh, we did the over-under thing last year, Parker Gatewood and I did, and uh, could never quite get in touch with the person who won the contest. It was uh, someone on the Valpo message board who had a very unique screen name and sent a message and never got anything back. But uh, anyways, we're going to do the over-unders again. We'll set them next week. I'm going to do a little bit more... Um, you know, a little bit more prep for setting the over-unders this year. And uh, I'm not trying to tell anyone out there it's going to be the next Alec Peters or anything like that. Uh, I hide myself in shame. Okay, thank you all. Take care. See you next week.